And we're going to look into God's word this morning. Jesus, we believe in your Holy Spirit. And we say that not just as some rote memorization, but we say that as a reminder to ourselves that there's more that's going on even right now than what we see, hear, and feel. But your spirit is real, and he's active. Um, He's active in those of us who have already opened our hearts to Jesus. He's active around those of us here this morning who have not yet opened that door to Jesus. But he's always active. And we ask you to give us ears to hear and eyes to see what he's saying and doing and how he's encouraging us to become the kind of people you've made us to be full of the life of God, full to overflowing. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, here's a question I'll start with. Really simple question, but not so simple. Why do you come to church? And I don't mean why do you come to this church, but why do you go to church? Um, Some of you who maybe are teenagers might think, well, my parents make me go. I don't have a choice. Maybe a legitimate answer there. But why, why did some of you, all of you who are here, why did you either set your alarm this morning? Why did you get up? Why did you get in your car? Why did you drive here? Why did you walk through these doors? Why did you sit down? And many of you did it last week, and you'll do it next week. But why? Is it because it's a socially acceptable thing to do? Is it simply because you were born in a Christian family, and that's what we do? We go to church. But again, I'll ask, but why? Why do you go to church on a regular basis? I grew up going to church three times a week. Why? And and the ultimate, the, the question behind that is, okay, what do I hope is going to be different about me by being involved in the life of a church week in and week out? I mean, if you had to, if, you know, I'm a math guy, so I think about statistics. If you had a group of 10 people over here that didn't go to church for five years and a group of 10 people over here that did go and participate in the life of a church, a Christ-centered church for five years, should there be, would there be any noticeable difference in the characters of those people? We would like to think Yes. But that's, again, the question. Why do we come? What do we expect? And, of course, well, I come to worship God. Well, yes, that's true, but why do we worship God? What does that do in my life? Am I any different because I'm here? Are you any different because you're here? And some of you, if you're honest, are probably thinking to yourself, sometimes I don't know. I haven't seen much change. I don't know. Another question I'll ask, what's the gospel? People, well, the guy, you know, people always say, listen, on the radio the other day, I was hearing somebody say, we're, we're a church that preaches the gospel. Okay, what is the gospel? Is the gospel trust Jesus and you go to heaven after you die? And I'll say, eh, wrong answer. It's right, but it's also wrong. Is the gospel um, be a Christian and God will get your life in order for you? He'll fix things for you kind of a self-help thing. Eh, It's wrong, but it's also right. It's right and wrong. Is the gospel really that Jesus came to show us how to love each other and exercise justice in the world? Is that the gospel? Is that the good news? Gospel means good news, by the way. It's the same words used in the Bible that way. Is the gospel simply that Jesus came to show us how to have world peace and show justice? Again, eh, wrong answer, but it's right, but it's wrong. Is the gospel simply, we teach the Bible and write doctrine 
And so you get your right doctrine lined up, you get your right beliefs in line, and you're in. In what? Is that the gospel? And again, wrong, but right. Yeah, of course we believe in right doctrine, understand the Bible. But what is the gospel? What is the good news that Jesus said he came to tell people? And what blew people away when Jesus started talking about it? Because if the good news is simply trust Jesus and you'll go to heaven after you die, if that's it, then the only reason you're here is to make sure you don't lose your ticket? Or is there something more than that? Last question. What would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with blank? And no, I don't want you to put somebody's name in there. (laughs) I'm talking about things inside of you. Things like, what would my life be like if I didn't have to struggle anymore with anxiety? What would my life be like if I didn't have to struggle anymore with depression? What would my life be like if I didn't struggle anymore with perfectionism? What would my life be like if I didn't struggle anymore with being selfish? What would my life be like, what would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with never feeling like you have enough money? What would be your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with your self-image or with lust or with being impatient, being angry, being isolated, all these issues. What would your life... What would your life be like if you didn't have those things in your life? If those things were gone, they were healed, they were whatever. And my guess is if you really stopped and thought about that, you'd be like, wow, I don't, I don't know what my life would be like without that, but I bet it'd be really, really fulfilling. Much more than what I'm experiencing now. What we're going to do the next handful of weeks, and whenever I say handful of weeks, that may mean four, that may mean eight, may mean 12. I don't know. All right, so I'm just telling you up front. Here's what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks. Imagine you alive, awake, and free. You've heard me use that phrase before. Alive, awake, and free is how I believe God made us because of sin. We've broken up that image, but Jesus came to restore us to the image of God in us being alive, awake, and free people. And I want you to, again, imagine you alive, awake, and free. Because most of us, if we're honest, and if I'm honest, alive and awake and free, uh, maybe some of the time, mostly surviving, a little bit groggy, bored, busy, trying to make it, a little bit sluggish, Sometimes frustrated, sometimes in bondage, sometimes just blah. But alive, awake, and free, well, I know I'm supposed to be that way, and I try to pretend that when people ask me how I'm doing, and I try to say I'm happy, but inside I am, but I'm not to the degree that I think I'm supposed to be, so I don't know what's wrong. I don't know if God's holding out on me. I don't know if I'm blowing it. So what we're going to talk about, and this is from Luke chapter 4. It's the message of Jesus, one of the, one of the 
early, early, early sermons of Jesus. And if you've been around Exodus uh, lately or the last couple, well, actually we've had the whole time, the mission statement of Exodus is release life. That mission statement comes from Luke chapter four. When people ask me, what does that mean, release life? It means we want to be the kind of people who are alive, awake, and free because of what Jesus does in life. And we want, to, we want to see that reality expanded to our friends, our neighbors, our enemies, orphans, and anybody around us. Because we believe that's how God made us. And again, if you're like me, that's still a vision for your life. It's not the reality. It's a, you have glimpses of that. There's times where you've thought, I think I know what that feels like. But the reality of most of our days, we live just trying to make it and get by, even as Christians. All right? Here's the passage in Luke chapter 4. Let me give you the background first. First of all, the next one is it just, it's a map of Israel, modern day Israel, or, or actually New Testament Israel. Um, those of you who are... Uh, aren't familiar with a lot of geographies, the Middle East, Mediterranean Sea. The upper, if you just look at that real quick, the upper part, you see a little blue lake. Uh, Go back one more. The upper part is a little blue lake. It's the Galilee region. It's where Jesus was born, did a lot of his ministry. Down by the Dead Sea, the lower part is Jerusalem. That's where a lot of uh, Jesus, so Jesus, most of the stories of the New Testament, Jesus was either in the Galilee region, where he was born and grew up, or he was down in Jerusalem in the temple, all right? So if you think about Jesus' life, it was one of those two places. All right, now go to the next one. This is the Galilee region, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. See, it's between the A and the L of Nazareth. But when he, and so he grew up there as a carpenter, you know, pounded nails, whatever, probably had somewhat burly forearms and calloused hands. About the age of 30, he made the step into public ministry that God was asking him to do. Um, and he spent a lot of his early, the first early part of the minute in Capernaum, which is on the upper part of that Sea of Galilee. And I'm saying this all for a reason. So in Capernaum, he began healing people that were sick. He healed a man of leprosy. He healed Peter's mother-in-law who had been sick. But again, he's from Nazareth. So all his friends from Nazareth, and those are about 30 miles apart, Nazareth to uh, Capernaum. So all his friends, boyhood buddies, whatever. Um, and it said that he grew up in favor with God and man. So he had a good reputation in Nazareth. He was a good man. He was known as a good man. But his first, his first acts of miracles, even the wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine, were not in his hometown. This passage, Luke chapter four, he's back in his hometown synagogue. So again, he's back with his buddies and girlfriends or whatever he grew up with. He played with them in the streets when they were kids. All right? And he knew their parents. They knew him. He knew... So these are not big towns. I mean, uh, I'm thinking of places like, you know, Stanford or Ulytic or places like that that are... That's a lot more we're talking about. They're small. People know each other. They didn't have cars. They weren't traveling all the time. So he goes to the synagogue one day in Nazareth. And the synagogue worship was two, sometimes three days a week. And there was a cycle and a rhythm to it. And there was a pattern. Every time they, they would meet, the, uh, someone would read this, a certain part of the law. Someone would read something else. Someone would always read a section from the prophets in the Old Testament. It was a real regular ritual in their lives. 
the particular day that one of the particular days that Jesus shows up and he's back in Nazareth now and these people from Nazareth had heard things about this Jesus they grew up with. They knew about the stuff that had been happening in other towns. They knew about some of the miracles. They knew about leprosy being healed, blind people seeing people sick, not being sick anymore. They knew that. And so imagine the tension when Jesus steps into the synagogue for the ordinary worship that day. Imagine the tension or the thickness of the air when it, we, we don't know for sure, but the assumption is it must have been Jesus's turn or for some reason he was chosen to be the reader. They would have any, ordinary people were asked to read. They had their priests and other things, but it was his turn to read. And the reading for that day, the scroll for the day was the prophet Isaiah. We don't know if he was supposed to read what he read, but he read what he read for a reason. All right, so here's Jesus. They've heard about this, all the things he've done, but they've known him since he was a kid. And they're trying to figure out who, who we thought we knew. Who is this guy? What, is he going to do any of those really cool tricks here? All right, here's what happens. Luke chapter four. And this is the passage we're going to look at or look around this for the next number of weeks. So we're going to ask a lot of questions about not just what's going on here, but how do we, how does this look like in real life, all right? Jesus opens a scroll, it said, and he unrolled a scroll in front of the people who were wondering about Jesus and what he may be doing now in their town. And he reads from the prophet Isaiah. He reads this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And again, these people knew he had been doing some of this stuff in terms of healing, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That last phrase, every Jewish man, woman, boy, and girl knew what that meant. That meant it's the time where God's going to turn things right again and blessing and peace and joy will be the norm and not the exception because they were under the Roman occupation. It was not a happy time for Jewish people. And every man, woman, girl, and boy of Jewish, uh, you know, Jewish, of Jewish uh, ethnicity knew the passage Jesus read referred to the expectation they all had of the Messiah who was to come. So here Jesus, who's done these really, really cool magic tricks, healings, they weren't magic, they were healings, they did things. He comes and he reads this in front of his peers, his childhood buddies, his, you know, his kids' dads and uncles and neighbors. And he reads this. And it says he rolled the scroll back up, gave it back to the attendant. And then he sat down. Now, in the temple worship, sitting down meant, okay, it was after he read it, he was supposed to sit down and occupy the place of a teacher. Teacher sat down. And it says every eye was fastened on him. And again, they're, they're, they're staring at him because they're like, wow, this is, we've heard things. And, but, he's, but he's a carpenter and he's Joseph. And Jesus says, today, I mean, he didn't point to the screen. He pointed to the scroll probably. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's kind of saying, it's me. Ta-da. And then what's interesting, and we'll deal with this more later, the people were amazed at first as they were amazed, and then they were a little bit like, well, aren't you going to do any of those cool things for us here? Because what they wanted, they wanted the Messiah to be the person to come in their life like Santa Claus or Superman and fix everything. 
That's not who God is. And, they, and so they're like, wait, wait, wait. Gee, this is just Mary and Joseph's son. Who does he think he is? Because they realized he wasn't going to do that for them. He wasn't going to be the kind of God they thought he should be, which was Superman, magic trick, Santa Claus, all mixed in one. And it says they actually went out and they were talking and they crowded around him and actually got to the edge of a cliff that's near that part of Nazareth and were about to push him off because they were so, it says they were enraged. It's like, wait a minute. He just read this passage of scripture and said it was him. I mean, if he's mistaken, why get mad at him? But they were mad at him because he, he, was, he was not going to be the Messiah they thought he ought to be. And how many times do you and I get upset with me too? I get upset with God because he's not being the God in the image that we've created him to be. And he's not fixing our problems for us right now. And we say, oh, I'm not angry. Well, yes, we do get, and we do. It's like, no, we want God to do things our way. And that's what they realized he wasn't going to be and they didn't like it. Nevertheless, let's look at what he read and why he read it. Okay, a couple of things. I'm just going to leave this. This is going to be up there the whole time. Um, first thing, go to the next slide. He came to preach the good news. And again, I talked about this earlier. What is the gospel? That's the same word as good news. And actually, the word we have for evangelism is from the same Greek word that we get the good news and the gospel. So the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were the bearers of the good news. But again, what is the good news? Because in those days, someone would go from town to town and be the bearer of glad tidings because they didn't have internet or Twitter or Instagram or or, uh, email or CNN or Fox News. They didn't have any of that, so they had to send somebody to bear the good news. So what is the good news? Is the good news, and like I said earlier, is the good news simply, and I'm saying already it's not, trust me, Jesus said, and you'll go to heaven after you die. Jesus never said that that way, and he never, that wasn't his stated mission. Yes, it's true. It's right, but it's also wrong. It's not complete. The mission that Jesus said over and over again was the kingdom of heaven is near Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven is now near. And what he meant was that was not saying um, you're going to go to heaven soon. Every Jewish man, woman, boy, and girl knew that the kingdom of heaven, or in some of the gospels it's called the kingdom of God, was the time in the world where life would be the way it was meant to be. You would be what God created you to do and be, and the world would be full of peace and joy and contentment. And, 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 he's, and he's saying now, this kingdom of God is now, this kind of opportunity with God is now available for every single one of you people. Now, why was that so amazing? Well, most of the people who were average, ordinary people, like you and me, they weren't part of the elite Pharisee class. They had been told their whole life, you know, you really can't have the kind of relationship with God that you should have because you're not educated enough you're not holy enough, and you certainly don't have the pedigree we have. So these people have been told their whole life, directly and indirectly, you can't have that kind of interactive, joy-filled life with God, the kingdom of God kind of. You can't have that. Because you're, it's just way out of your reach. You just don't got what it takes. So Jesus says to people, no, it's not within your reach. You can have the kind of life with God every single one of you deep down know is what you're made for, but it seems so far out of your reach. 
So the good news is the life with God is now possible for average, ordinary people who've been told their whole life it can't work for you. All right, that's the good news. Now, does that mean we also exercise justice and we trust in good doctrine and we exercise personal growth and we go to heaven? Yeah, it means all that, but that's not the core of what he said. Because if, you, if somebody who has that right kind of dynamic, full of joy, overflowing life with God, of course those things are part of what's a part of that relationship. So the first thing we have to clarify with ourselves in your expectation and my expectation is what, is what is the good news Jesus has for you and me? Well, the good news is he's going to reestablish your relationship with God in a way that will bring life and energy and joy and contentment to you that you've never imagined you could have. That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to just hand out heaven tickets. He didn't come just to make world. He didn't come to uh, just start a Christian version of the Peace Corps. He didn't come for that. He came to help people understand you can have a right relationship with God. All right, that's what that one. Okay, next one. Here's four things, four verbs, verbish kind of things. It says he came to freedom, release, recovery, and favor. Freedom, recovery, release, and favor. Again, remember, the mission of Exodus is release life. But he came to set people free. It says freedom for the prisoners, recover a sight for the blind, release of the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If those verbs and a noun or two were part of how people would describe the culture of your individual or family life, what would that be like? If you were on the other side of being set free recovering of sight and not just physical blindness here being set free recover of sight released from any other thing that's oppressed you and you're experiencing and living in the favor of God the goodness of God in your life what in the world would that life look like and where can I sign up for that right isn't it that's what he came to do he came to do that for you, he came to do that for me, he came to do that for young, old, poor, rich, slave, free, whatever. Now here, next slide. Because here I think where a lot of times, sometimes we can get stuck, I can get stuck. He came to do that for the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. And at first our reaction is, oh, that's good that he came to do that for them. Right? For them. I mean, I'm not sure if I'd use the word prisoner to talk about my life. I mean, I, I got, got myself dressed this morning. I buttoned all my buttons. I think I'm in good shape. And, you know, I have a decent life. I drive a car. I have a driver's license. You know, we think, we, I'm, am I poor? Am I a prisoner? Am I blind? Am I oppressed? It's kind of an affront to my pride to have to acknowledge that. Because he's talking, you know, surely Jesus is talking about kind of them people, people with leprosy, and not to be offensive in any way, but people that are homeless, people that are alcoholic, people that have drug problems. That's who he's talking about, right? People that are actually in prison, people that are just spiritually cold hearted. Yeah, he's talking about them. 
But I am part of them. And so are you. You know, we look at people that we think have problems, whether emotional, spiritual, physical, whatever. And just this week I was talking to somebody, we were talking about this, and I thought, you know, it's not simply, well, there, there but the grace of God go I. That's what we often say. There, but they, it's like, no, no. There go I. That's me. I just have a life now where I can kind of cover up some of those issues. And you can't always see my brokenness because I put on nice clothes and have a nice house and have a nice family. We, kind of learn, we, we learn how to cover up our brokenness. But the reality is every single person here has a broken uh, broken heart and God is still in need of healing. There are things in your life and my life, in the depth of our character, things like um, forgiveness, things like generosity, things like overflowing with gratitude. None of us score 100 on the forgiveness, generosity, gratitude, or integrity test. None of us do. And they're not simply mistakes you're making. It's because you can't apart from the life and the, and, the, and the engaging work of Jesus in your life. None of us score 100. You don't pass with a 90. Jesus is always wanting to change things in our lives. And again, I think the hardest thing for this, this kind of issue is you have to see yourself in this passage. For example, maybe I should read this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news. This is Jesus talking. Preach good news to Matt Nussbaum. He has sent Jesus to proclaim freedom for Matt Nussbaum and recovery of sight for Matt Nussbaum to release Matt Nussbaum and to proclaim that God's really favorable toward him right now. Put your name in that blank. Because here's the next slide here. Jesus' mission is not just people, the world population, the poor, the oppressed. He didn't come to minister to conceptual ideas. His mission was you. His mission was you, Lindsay. His mission is you, Matt Adams. That's the mission of Jesus, was to set you free. That's his mission. His mission is us. And it's like, well, that sounds a little bit weak. That sounds a little bit too man-centered. That's what Jesus said he came to do. He came for us. His mission is not just large concepts. His mission is you and me and people like you and me with real names, real lives, real flaws, real secrets we don't want anybody else to know, real struggles with forgiving people who have hurt us, real struggles with being generous because generous we're not sure if God's going to provide, real struggles with not being selfish and looking to the interests of our spouse instead of our own first, real struggles with secret sins, real struggles with feeling like we have any worth, real struggles with thoughts of self-condemnation that nobody knows that if they knew what I thought about myself, people would probably lock me up, right? That's who Jesus came for. And he came because he wants us to be alive, awake and free, alive, energized by the joy and the goodness of God in your life, awake, aware of the invisible world and being able to hear and respond to God because he talks to us all the time and seeing what he's doing around you, 
not in a weird way, but in a way that becomes normal in your life, and free, meaning that you are living your life unhindered by any obstructions of false idols in your life, whether it be sexual stuff, money stuff, self-image stuff, whatever. Free, absolutely free of the opinions of others. Absolutely free of ensnarements from other things. Alive, awake, and free. That's what Jesus said he came to come for us. And that's what he says he comes to do for you. And don't settle for anything less than what Jesus said he came to do for you. Don't assume that your life is just supposed to be, I need to hang on, I'll go to church, I'll make it work. I haven't been able to to kick this habit for years. So I guess it's going to be part of my life. All right? Don't stay there. Don't stay in the, in the pit of pride where you think, well, I don't think I really need any of this stuff. No, alive, awake, and free. Not surviving, bored, groggy, busy, sluggish. So in that sense, the mission of Exodus Church, when we say release life, the mission of the church is you, is people. We want to see in my life and my wife's life, my kids' lives, and your lives, and your kids' lives, and your husband's, and your wives, and your mom's, and your dad's life, and your neighbor's, and your enemy's lives. We want to see your heart increase in capacity of what the Spirit can do in your life. And we want to see you expand in your ability and, and grow in your experience of being alive, awake, and free. A church full of those kind of people will have nothing in in the way of what God wants to accomplish to them. Nothing. So the vision is you. The vision is people. The vision is a church full of really big people. A church full of really deep people. A church full of really strong, forgiving, generous, grateful, integrity people. Why would, you, why, why would we not want that for my own life? Why would you not want that? Now, here's an other question, and we're almost done here. Okay, but how does this happen? You've got to come back next week for that, and the next week, and the next week. Because it's, it's not like, okay, I want it. You know, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. You know, tap my... How does Jesus bring about transformation in my character? You know, what's interesting when you read the Gospels, even after this passage in Luke, Jesus goes out and heals people. He healed physical ailments instantaneously. Okay, so that's really, we love to see that power of Jesus. Nobody came to Jesus and says, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, I, I mean, not this directly. I have such an unforgiving heart toward this person that hurt me. Jesus, can you just wave your wand over me and make me a forgiving person? It seemed like that kind of change is a process of ongoing friendship with Jesus and a process of spiritual habits, not legalism, habits where you are constantly engaging with Jesus in his life and constantly giving him access to your life. Because issues like forgiveness, generosity, integrity, being receptive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, those come through process. And the process has to involve a friendship with Jesus. And we're going to talk next week about what, what are those things we could and should be doing that put us in that parallel, ongoing, connected friendship with Jesus so he helps us become the kind of men, women, girls, and boys that are alive, awake, and free. How do we do that? Because it doesn't happen by magic. 
We have no Superman booth here. We have no magic wands here. And that's why the people in Nazareth wanted to push Jesus off the cliff. Well, why can't you do that for us? I came to church 500 weeks in a row. Why can't you do something for me? Well, he will if we cooperate with him as friends and do the things he asks us to do. He tells us to love our enemies, but it doesn't come by magic. It comes by cooperating with the spirit of Jesus working in and through us, teaching us, mentoring us, apprenticing us. All right? So next week and the next week and the next week and the next week. All right? Um, go, uh, go to that. Go, Luke, go back to the Luke passage. Luke, 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 Luke. Next week, um, if anybody has memorized this and whatever version you want, um, whoever can memorize that, and if there's more than one, we'll have a kind of a random pick and you mem- say it in front of the congregation, I'll give you, I will give you a $25 gift card to Yonko's Little Zagreb. <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, I'll find something else, roots or whatever. I'm serious. So if you next week say, I think I know this, I, I got this verse down. Well, if there's 10 of you, I'll probably have to draw a number and that one of you will come up front. If you get it right, you get the little Zagrebs or roots. Seriously, I, I'm gonna challenge you to memorize this part because this is the mission of Jesus. So at least, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give into Pavlov's dog and the apple on the stick, right? We'll give into that if it's gonna help you plant this in your mind. All right. We'll go to the last slide now, and then we'll take, we're going to get ready for communion. Every Sunday at Exodus, we take communion, and we take it because the realization is I can't become that kind of person who's alive, awake, and free unless the life of Jesus is invited and welcomed into my life, and I have to cooperate to do that. If you notice for communion, we don't tell you to open your mouth. We don't jam stuff in and pour stuff down because that's not how God works in our lives. He works cooperatively. He presents himself. We have a choice whether to take and eat and ingest or not. We have that choice. That's why we do this. It's that symbol of that kind of relationship. He said, Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that I have life and have it to the full. That's what he wants for you and me. Full satisfying, alive, awake, and free. Don't be satisfied with anything less. Here's how we do this at Exodus. We, um, Jeremy and the band.